of the Bitcoin Podcast, and I'm your first host, Marcello. Host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. <laughs> Ken Kniff. In a world brought uh, to you by three podcast hosts. Corey, why don't you just grab your hardware wallet for no reason? I've been playing with it all morning. Fidgeting? Uh, I've been fidgeting with my hardware wallet. Uh... Let's uh, we have ads. We have ads now. Yeah. Today's show is brought to you by bookmakers. Oh, hates. bookmaker.eu. <laughs> it's a um, gambling site. It's not a gambling site. It's uh, <laughs> you, you, you. There's events, and you can pay money, and the outcome of the event would uh, decide if you got paid more money than you put in or not. It's basically like investing. <laughs> You're terrible at those. Yeah. All right. Uh, support for today's show comes from bookmaker.eu, a premier sports booking service in the U.S. for over 30 years, providing all your sports betting needs, both professional and recreational. So they're taking all those years of experience and kind of pivoting to crypto. And that's kind of where we come in because now you can make your sports picks with Bitcoin at bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast. And they offer live in progress betting on every major sporting event, baseball, basketball, you name it. And it allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from tip off until final whistle. Bets are graded within seconds and your winnings are credited to your account instantly. Withdrawals are free with same day payouts and Bitcoin. Please visit bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast today to sign up and claim your exclusive 100% welcome bonus. That's up to $300. And yeah, you can access your bookmaker.eu account from your desktop, tablet, smartphone. You don't even need to download anything. So go to bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast, claim that 100% welcome bonus when you make your first deposit in either Bitcoin or fiat. Yep. So this is perfect if you have like a gambling addiction. This is going to be the spot you're going to want to go and get all your jollies off. Hmm. <laughs> Get your jollies off, bookmaker. Right. Are we? Uh... I think we're good with it. Good with that now. That's it. That's all we got. Uh, I got one more. We can do that mid roll. Let's just. All right, cool, cool. Let's dive into what we were talking about. Yes, we were talking about. Well, we were talking about two things right before the show. Um, we were talking about the Cipher browser getting pop, bought up by Coin Coinbase. Um. And then we also talked about Deepak Chopra. So which one do we want to knock out of the ballpark first? Before we get into the, the ridiculousness that is Deepak Chopra, let's talk about the news that a uh, Cypher browser was bought by Coinbase. Yeah. So if you guys don't know what Cypher browser I is, Cypher browser. 
I never heard of them, so but you were about to Well, I'm pretty sure uh they were bought by Coinbase because they have a Coinbase Blue as their go-to for their app. It's not Coinbase Blue. It's a little bit of lavender, but, man, it's close. And Coinbase the is news, like, we might as well just buy them. The news is from all the you know verified Twitters, Cypher Browser is joining Coinbase. So yeah, they're merging so Toshi. They're merging Cypher Browser with Toshi. Toshi was the Coinbase-led um, wallet. Our mission is to bring the power of Ethereum blockchain and decentralized applications to as many people as possible. So that's what their mission is. So what does this mean for Brave, the Brave browser? Doesn't mean anything. Nothing. It doesn't mean competition. I mean everything means competition, man. I I don't think so. Brave wasn't set up to control all of the crypto assets of people and to be like I don't know. I, I feel like Brave was just trying to create a better browser that incentivized browsing on certain websites without having ads. That's what the basic mm-hmm. attention token is used for. But they have it like the Brave browsers and set up to control all of your digital assets. And that's what these these like the Cipher browser, Toshi, things like that are meant for. My crypto yep. does that as a, a, a web wallet. So, but you know they haven't built the stuff that goes on your phone. I mean, that's what status is for. Status is for controlling all of your Ethereum-based tokens on your phone, things like that. And that's and because everyone has a cell phone, it's a really good play to make because if you can enable people to use the devices they already have so that they can interact with these, these, uh, these networks really easily, then you... you drastically increase adoption because like think about the change that people had to make when the internet started happening um when they like no one knew what a browser was they didn't know that you had to buy this extra software so you could see the internet and visit the internet and Mm -hmm. for the longest time no one got on the internet because they didn't know how to work a browser aol made that really easy because you just logged on to aol and that was your browser along with a lot of other things chats and email and all that stuff is all in one place and then people started to realize that once aol was like up and running and they were logged in they could use internet explorer to also see the internet (coughs) then they started realizing that like the internet is a place and you need some piece of software to get access to it and now everything that we use has some type of browser built into it so accessing the internet just seems natural but ethereum and other blockchains like bitcoin you need a browser in order to interact with them and Mm -hmm. that software isn't built into all the devices in fact that software is typically really expensive or like computationally expensive to run so it's hard to run in some cases for certain applications on a device like a phone And so, like, over time, that'll get better and better and better. And it'll just be everywhere. Like, everyone will have an embedded device or an embedded software on their phone that, that, that enables them access to all these networks so they can exchange value and stuff. But right now, like, these things are being built. So moves like Coinbase buying up browsers is clearly putting them along the same narrative of 
them becoming the AOL of cryptocurrencies. They want to mm-hmm. be the one-stop shop for interacting with all of these networks so that people are like, um, they think they have to basically use Coinbase to interact with cryptocurrencies because that's what people used to think when they used AOL. Like, I just mm-hmm. access the internet through AOL because that's the internet. AOL is the internet. And I think they're trying yep. to make that same connection. And Cello, does it your mom think Facebook is the internet? Didn't you say that one time? Yeah, it's a it's a confusing mess with uh <laughs> with old people. Yeah. But, oh, speaking of that, I sit by uh I sit by mom one of those hidden text messages on um what is it, iMessage, where you can like send it with it is like fuzzy and you have to like scratch this you have to move the screen to get the message and she texted me back she's like something's wrong with your message i can't read it looks like the computer's messing up or the phone's messing up and i was just i just left it i want to see how long it takes her to, to figure out that, you know she's gotta uh make the secret message appear with her finger so yay for old people um I think Coinbase, like you said, Corey, they're just trying to be the AOL of the stuff. And it goes right along the vein that they've had since the beginning, which is user-friendliness. I mean, I'm looking at Cypher. I'm on CypherBrowser.com. I'm browser in Cypher Browser. It's very it? user-friendly. I have it on my phone. It's it's fantastic. That's something... It's very... Yeah. Like, it's very Spank Chain used them quite a bit when they did their, their uh, ICO. And Mackie was pushing it like crazy whenever they started. And they, 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 did, they did a good job of making a browser that's got all the full features. It works. It, it, it's easy to use. It's intuitive. And I guess Coinbase was like, uh, we don't want to do this anymore. Let's just buy somebody that did it already. <laughs> oh, because they were trying really hard with Toshi, weren't they? Yeah. They were trying guess, really hard with Toshi. I guess. I don't know. I have Toshi on my phone. Like, it's cool looking. Um it did a mess with my battery when i first used it um last it was i was using it at devcon actually um but yeah i mean coinbase is making money moves now so i guess this industry is getting mature is that what we say about this are we growing up as an industry i mean we're not making as nearly as many street fighter 2 references Oh, that's just because um, I made all of them. <laughs> there were no more to make. <laughs> no, wait. I think I just thought of one. We're not rolling around here all wimbly bimbly like Vega. We're the rock solid like a Ryu roundhouse. Vega didn't roll could... around. Vega, like, jumped around and did acrobats. Like, rolled. Uh, Blanca incorrect, sir. rolled around. Hold. You hold back for two seconds, forward and hard punch, and you do three rolls and a belly stab. Mm, I think you're right. There's no thinking, baby. I got that whole <laughs> freaking command list memorized from all the characters. <laughs> um, if you hold down two seconds and up and kick, you jump off the walls. But if you're on Vegas stage, you not only jump off of the wall, you do it second to jumping on the cage. Which is extra cheater. It was. It was extra cheater. Yep. Anyways, there's always like a subtle joy in knocking Vega's claws and mask off, little bitch. 
All right, so let's move on to the next talking point, probably. Um, Corey, you got all you got all red behind the ears when I mentioned Deep October, or you mentioned Deep October, and I was like, I don't see the big deal. Oh, so I guess people like to think that he's like a he just makes people happy, but it's how like the the message that he portrays is tries to use quantum mechanics as an explainer to a lot of the pseudoscientific bullshit that he speaks. And none of it is true, but because it says quantum mechanics in it, people automatically assume that it's true when it's all just pure garbage coming from somebody who understands quantum mechanics and the meaning. And like, I wouldn't say the meaning behind it, but what you can say about what quantum mechanics does. And I guess he, so the, the news is that he's, he's speaking or leading some meditation things at uh, ethereal, which is held by consensus. And uh, apparently a lot of the people are, are pissed off that this charlatan is, is even invited or leading a talk at such a large, um, crypto, you know, cryptocurrency event. I, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I agree with him. I think he's worthless to listen to. His books are garbage and, <laughs> He has made a significant amount of money taking advantage of people listening to him and believing his garbage. I think he's worthless. It's not just him though. There's there's always been, uh, you know, what, what did you what did you say? Uh, um, how did you describe what he was selling? Pseudoscientific bullshit. Yeah, there's been pseudoscience revolving around quantum mechanics for decades, though. Just oh, because yeah, it's so sure. high level, no one understands he's, quantum mechanics. He's the one, he's the snakes, the snake oil salesman that has done the best in terms of convincing people that um, his message is what quantum mechanics tells us. Um, and I, it's 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 really easy to do. I mean. It, he speaks really he speaks eloquently it's just a matter like there will always be people who do this type of stuff but why is he speaking at a cryptocurrency conference man because people need love too people on crypto need love i don't know i don't you don't think people need love oh we better make some enemies homie not from pseudoscientific bullshit like that there's even a I actually read this a long time ago, a paper, a peer-reviewed paper that created a, um, a metric for bullshit that used all of Deepak Chopra's tweets um, to, to train the engine or something along those lines. Like it, it, it's, it's well known <laughs> in the scientific community that he's full of shit. Okay. Let's start to weigh good with bad. So he uses science to, to make people happy. No, no. Absolutely not. Okay. He so uses, that's the, he uses the, the moniker of science to profit from people by eluding them that he's making them happy. So how many people has he made happy? I don't care. Or at least, it's, at least it's, 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 it's false claims that you can't say shit regardless of the claims and like just pure nonsense. This is, this is equivalent to a scam. It's the exact same thing. Is okay. this quantum mysticism? It's not Man, quantum mysticism. I just think that, okay, yeah, he's a charlatan. Which, by the way, 
that word I had never heard until I got into this industry. And now I hear it at least a month, at least once a month, I hear the word charlatan. And I'm like, we're about to take our gloves off and duel <laughs> because that is one hell of a word right there. Um, That's what people from Charlotte, North Carolina are called. You know that? <laughs> is it really? I don't think that's true. I don't think they would make themselves <laughs> that. I'm pretty sure you just made that up, Joe. I, I'm going to call him that, though. <laughs> He's charlatan. Um, I bet you a dozen people are Googling it right now listening to this show. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that there's... I would only care if, like, he's doing fake science and hurting people, then I would care. If he's doing fake science and people actually buy into it and they end up making their lives better, then what's the net loss? It's not like they're going out and opening up a science lab and wasting wasting money to study the Deepak Chobra quantum mechanics of hope. They're just like listening to this guy who can speak really well and has got a sharp chin, and then it makes them go out into the world and do better. That's because he's made millions and millions and millions of dollars off selling lives. Well, he's going to have to deal with those demons when he has to deal with those demons. And I guarantee you it's not going to be good for his psyche. But the people that are going to better in their lives, it's kind of like that. I don't know. How do you take the good with the bad? Sorry, I don't I don't support anybody who purposefully peddles nonsense for their own benefit at the cost of other people. Because... Like selling untruths to people is never good for those people. I don't care. That's that's my that's a hard stance that I have. There's no point in your life, or should should anyone benefit from telling people falsities? And um, people who it do, I will time, never support. Man. I don't care if it happens. What if I don't support. What if your coach and your team sucks ass, and you got to get them amped up to to play the best team in the league, and you're not gonna go up to them and be like, "All right, guys." You're going to get your asses kicked by close to 50 points. No, you're going to be like, we fucking trained hard. You remembered your routes, right? Just beat that guy on the inside, knowing that the guy is twice as strong as your guy. Just beat that guy on the inside. You're going to get past him. You're going to do it. Like, you got to take good with bad. No, that's not the same equivalent. If you want to go with your analogy, it's like telling somebody, we are better than this team. We are, our record is better than this team. There's no reason why we shouldn't lose to this team, regardless of what the real world says. I, I can understand giving somebody hope or trying to pump them up, give them the like, you know, trying to give them the energy and gusto to do the to do their best. But telling pure falsities is never a good way to do that. And then profiting from it. It's like then telling your team that and then your team giving you millions of dollars and saying thank you for that. And then them giving you their shit kicked in. What yeah, about, that makes sense. I'm just being medicine, obviously I'm just being there. Go ahead, go chill. What about placebo and, and, and sugar pills and all that? That that's a that's a, that's a real effect. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's an effect like that science. we study. There is a placebo effect. There that's is there is an ad and that's that's why you tell people certain things, but you never purposefully go out to better yourself by telling other people falsities. There's a subtle difference, but it's incredibly important. I'm just being the, uh, what's the word we're looking for here? Devil's, Devil's advocate. advocate? Yeah, contributive contrarian. I obviously give no fucks about Deepak Chopra. 
And if he ever heard this and then asked me that, I said that I would say it to his face. I'm like, I don't even know what you do, man. Um, but I know the internet made a uh, a hubbub. Yeah, yeah. The Talik was like charlatan round two. Oh yeah, like Did he really? He made a tweet about. Yeah, he said like first we had a he. It was something along the lines of like first we had Craig Wright the charlatan at um, Deconomy, and now we're having Deepak Chopra at uh, Consensus and like charlatan call out round two or something. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think Vitalik is slowly learning natural human behavior. Like I think we're training him well. I think it's I, I think it's just a matter it's a sign of the times. Like people are looking for someone to make it all okay. And the people who take up that mantle because it's always easier to just lie to somebody and assume the leadership to make people feel okay. It's always the harder route to understand the material and teach it to somebody in a way that they can understand. And as an educator, you definitely understand that. I can lie to somebody and feed them a bunch of pseudoscientific bullshit that I don't that I don't know if it's right or not, really, really quickly. But for me to understand something and then try and teach it to somebody so that they can understand it is a very mm-hmm. difficult thing to do. And so people make money from the former, and so they don't do the latter because it's harder. That's what about that's, Gary V? He falls under this umbrella. Who? Gary Vanderchuk. Baker truck, Chell, what's his name? The marketing guy, Gary Vander Beaker Beak. I don't know. Uh, Chell there? About. I don't know. Gary Vaynerchuk, I think his name is. He's this guy. He's like all over the freaking internet all the time, talking about like you're you're super duper good at being you. You just gotta be you. Like he's like one of those like uh like one of those self help kind of talking guys, but he talks to people about like marketing specifically and how to make their business grow and blah, blah, blah. I don't mind that. That's fine. Empowering people to be themselves is fine. I'm going to think of 5,000 different ways to tell someone to be themselves, write them down, get somebody to make a book about it and see if I can get on stage and just answer everyone. Here's a Q and a session. What can I do to make my business better? You just got to be you. Spreadsheets, make them how you make them. Plans, plan them how you plan them. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't be a donter. Yeah. Do be a doer. Don't <laughs> be a donter. <laughs> Cello, give us, give us some, uh, give us some affirmation. Hit us with something. Is Sorry, he- I got my, my, uh, I got my kids running around because we started late. That's my muted. Oh. Can Ophelia talk for the audience? Because they both... Yeah, there. Go. Professionalism. Want more of that? Want some more? <laughs> oh, no. Like, so this is... So, audience, if you've been listening to us for as long as since we've been doing this, Ophelia started as an itty-bitty baby, and now she can say, like, sentences and stuff. So, hopefully, we're doing this uh, to the point where she's, like, saying, hello, Bitcoin podcast audience. That would be really dope. Yeah, D came over last night and walked right in my house, and then she popped up and said, "What are you doing? You told me to come in. Don't don't tell that story like that." No, <laughs> but from her door, perspective, I have manners. No, but I'm just saying from her perspective, it's like this guy she barely knows just walks in the house. Yeah, she's like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Uh, coming in your house, What's up, baby." Um, 
Well, anyways, let's, uh, let's, let's move on to the interview. Yeah. All right, real quick. Um, uh, this interview is supported by Horizon Communications. Countries around the world have been plagued with below-par internet and telecommunication services, and this is due to aging equipment, expensive to install infrastructure and national disasters. So Horizon Communications is the solution to this with the planned deployment of next-generation internet service equipment. They've announced the launch of their pre-sale, and the company plans to first roll out high-speed internet and cellular service in the Caribbean and Central America in the token generation event issues their token. So uh, potentially like $100 million is going to come uh, after the first four years of operation. It's a pretty big deal. So you get a number of benefits from paying for services with the token, access to enterprise-level services, and uh, 10 million tokens are available for sale. Uh at a discount of up to 60%. So to participate, go to horizoncom.co. Communications and, on the horizon. And D, I'm going to let you uh, do the honors. What <laughs> on? Using our guest. Oh, I could do that. Ah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a Drake song. Such an amazing name. Um, so Yaya is a, um, I guess he's a fraud specialist, you could call it. So let's let's put this into context. He'd be the guy that was chasing Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie Catch Me If You Can. He'd be Tom Hanks, um, and his name is Yaya. And um, he was he was doing what he does, and he tells this story. But Bitcoin came across his desk because. You know, he's doing his thing. He's like, huh, who's who's trying to launder money today? And his interns come in and they are like, hey, people are trying to launder money. And he's like, cool, this is what we do. This is this is uh, we look into stuff just like this. And they're telling us where we want the money to go. And he was like, what? That's crazy. That seems like counterintuitive for a criminal. And so then he got into Bitcoin and crypto for that aspect of it. And, um, yeah, you'll get all the stories. So, without further ado, here is Yaya. Uh, here it is. All right, we got a really good interview for you guys. Uh, we're here with Yaya, who spent several years as both an economic and counterterrorism analyst in the CIA. He's now mm. analyzing financial and economic measures in national security. Be sure to check out his podcast, Rhythm of Wisdom on SoundCloud and his new articles on Coin the Desk. Busy, busy guy. A lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, carving time out of your schedule to join us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, love the show. Glad to be here. That's oh, a, for sure, man. Yeah, let's, let's start this off by like letting you kind of. I, I personally like figuring out what brought someone into the crypto sphere or crypto verse or whatever it is. Like, what what drew you to this space? coming from the background that you have, which you can explain a little bit more if yeah. you'd like to, and why that lens or like that domain expertise started bleeding in or like how the, how the blockchain space bled into what your domain of expertise was. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's been an interesting route. Um, a little bit more on the background of each other. I know you, you, you introduced it, but it, it's sort of key because a lot of the ways that I look at, look at this space comes through the standpoint of, 
you know, a former former intelligence analyst and someone who currently is looking at illicit finance and looking at how to, um, you know, how to deal with illicit actors who may be using all types of interesting means to 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 do what they do. So, um, you know, back in, you know, I spent seven years in the intel community. Um, uh, and the job of an intel analyst, right, is focusing on um, understanding threats often, understanding what folks are doing, um, you know, that impact national security. And so uh, as a counterterrorism analyst, that, that's what I was doing, right, looking, looking at threats that would impact uh, the U.S., you know, groups like al-Qaeda and, and the like. And so... Um, I left government a few years ago, and then I started working for a consulting firm whose mission was to do financial asset recovery. And specifically what that meant was um, trying to recover assets that were stolen through corruption, like, you know, dictatorship corruption. Um, and when you have that, you know, when, you, when that's your mission, you basically have to find how people are trying to hide money, how they're trying to put assets in other people's names, front companies. Like that's illicit finance research. Um, that's like a whole, it's a little niche. It's not something you can really go to school for right now. Um, but it is something if you're involved in, uh, sometimes in the financial sector, uh, in government, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a real area of focus. So, so I kind of got into that. And then a few years ago, three years ago, I got hired with, um, uh, a think tank here in DC called the foundation for defensive democracies. Uh, and we have a center called the center on sanctions and illicit finance. So I'm the director of, of analysis for the center. And so, so how did that lead to crypto? Um, so 2015, I started there. I had never, I mean, I guess I heard of of Bitcoin, obviously, like, like most people, but I, I can't remember what I thought about it or, you know, if I really knew much about it. I remember in 2015, my job was to, you know, understand financial threats, understand how illicit actors are using finance, uh, using finance, understand sanctions and how people are trying to evade sanctions through all types of crazy, crazy ways. Understand terrorist financing. That's probably something I should mention, right? I, I was really focusing on how do you stop um, terrorist groups from, 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 uh, from raising money. So people in 2015 were saying, you know, ISIS is going to be using Bitcoin or ISIS is trying to use Bitcoin. And every time I saw like a press piece, I can never verify it. It was always very kind of, uh, you know, is this just hype, these headlines? Um, so, you know, I sort of dropped it. I was like, eh, okay, you know, there, there are other things. Terrorists are not, are not using Bitcoin. 2016, something interesting happened. 2016, um, uh, I saw a press report. This was coming out of the Middle East, and the press report said that a this one terrorist group, and this was one of the, the terrorist group of the the jihadist variety, um, sort of aligned with with ISIS. It wasn't an ISIS group, but it was sort of really aligned with ISIS. Um, this news report said that they were trying to raise bitcoins, and um, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, "Okay, here comes here comes another uh, you know flashy headline, blah blah blah." Um, and I turned to my interns and I said, okay, check out this press report, eh, see if there's anything into it. And um, they came back to me because I had, you know, my interns were you know, young and, and, and understood uh, technology better than me. They saw that, that um, 
this group was on Twitter and on Telegram, but on Twitter, they had posted these infographics and the graphics basically said, you know, we're trying to buy weapons, bombs, guns, grenades, um, and please donate by sending us, you know, please donate to this QR code. So my, my interns scanned the QR code. This is the first time I'd ever seen this done. This is 2016. And, um, it went to blockchain.info. There was this, there was the Bitcoin address and, I looked at it and I was like, okay, wait a second. So this group is trying to raise money and you're now, we're now seeing where they're trying to raise money and we can actually see where the money is. They were like, yeah. And I was like, this is an investigator's dream. This is like, (laughs) you're trying to track someone who's doing something like, like, yo, this is, this is unbelievable that you don't have this. Like, so in the fiat world, right. Like you do, counter-terrorist financing, you do, you know, anti-money laundering, and usually you're dealing with banks, you're dealing with a bank account. If some suspected, you know, mobster or terrorist or, or whatever um, has a financial transaction or a bank account, you know, me at a think tank, I can't go in, go into the bank account and look at the transactions, analyze what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. This was the first time um, where you had an example of a verified group, terrorist group, actually doing a public fundraising campaign with Bitcoin and you could verify it. And we knew this wasn't like, so, cause some people might say, well, how do you know it wasn't a scam? Like, right. Cause that's what you had before. You had people who were, who try to scam and say, Oh, I'm ISIS donate here. Um, but this was, was pretty verified because the group had a presence on Twitter. Um, you know, they had like a media arm. It was pretty clear. This was the group and the, this was the Bitcoin address. We could look at it. Um, you know, spoiler alert. They didn't raise a lot of money. Um, and I think those who understand Bitcoin can understand why, right? Uh, they were asking for, they said they wanted $2,500 per fighter. Um, yeah, they raised about six. I mean, they raised about like 500 bucks, you know, in a few months. Yeah. Um, they didn't raise a lot of money. Not very successful. Um, uh, so so anyway, that that's where when it caught my eye. So, so that... That, I mean, I think I was looking at, I was interested in Bitcoin a little bit before then because I had been sort of learning about blockchain. Of course, this was during the blockchain, not Bitcoin time. And I was, I was thinking about this idea of, wow, this, this blockchain has a lot more transparency. Um, so, so I had sort of been thinking about it, but the, the, the terrorist fundraising case made me dive in more, made me start thinking about blockchain analysis. Um, so in the past couple of years, uh, you know, I sort of followed, followed this. I followed a couple of other groups who are doing the same thing. Um, and I made it clear, like when, when I, so I'll write an article, I've wrote a couple of articles about some of these groups. Um, you know, I hope it, it, I'm not trying to come off as alarmist. In fact, what I'm trying to do is, is, is I, I'm coming through the lens to get to Corey's you know, point. I'm coming through the lens of, you know, an investigator of someone who is tracking illicit actors. Um, and how do we learn from new capabilities? How can we get better if we're concerned about these things, about stopping illicit activity? How can we get better? The, obviously, criminals are going to learn. So we should, un- if they're using uh, the blockchain, we should understand the blockchain. We should understand how, how, to, to, how, to, how to catch them if they, you know, if, if, uh, if they're leaving a trail. So, um, so that's how that started. And then that has sort of opened up into other, you know, broader issues um, national security issues, geopolitical issues, like what does it mean that Venezuela is now launching its own crypto and, and Russia is, is really, really moving. Russia is totally investing in blockchain technology. Um, why? Because yeah. Russian banks are heavily sanctioned by the U.S. and EU or a lot of Russian banks so, are 
or sanctions. Wait, let's, okay. <laughs> you're, okay. you're giving us a lot of branches. You're giving yeah, us a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. pathways to go down. And so I, I guess the first pathway I'd go down is that do you feel that in this digital age, it feels like the powers to be the, the law enforcers, like the people that are associated with like yourself, they had mm -hmm. just gotten the handle on, on having systems in place of like, ah, like we could track these bank accounts. We could funnel money like this. If we know money's going there, we can look there. It feel like you had processes based around how to start your investigations to see if there's bad actors. And then crypto comes along and it's like, ah, damn, now we have to invent brand new processes on how we investigate and find these bad actors. Yeah. Is that basically what's happened now is like, oh, we got to get back to good old fashioned Good old fashioned yeah, work again. Well, I think it's it's a, a cat and mouse game, and I think that's just the nature of that's the nature of law enforcement. That's the nature of right. You know, uh, criminality didn't begin with with techno with you know cryptocurrency or or the internet. Um, basically, but the, I think the difference is that this new technology does provide a new. It's like a new ecosystem. There are new rules. You know, you mentioned like the banking world. You know, law enforcement. What do you do? Uh, you know, there's some, you know, drug operation, money laundering operation, you go and you can uh, hold the account, you can freeze the account, you can, you know, if there's some sort of uh, bad transaction, the bank can stop that payment. Um, that does not exist in the peer to peer world, right? Um, now you have this ecosystem where you can't necessarily interdict a payment. Um, ransomware and, and exchange hack hacks, I mean, People's stuff gets stolen. They're looking right at it and you can see what address it went to and you can't do anything about it. So, yeah, there's some new tools. There's a new way of thinking about finance. Um, people are definitely catching up and there are now tools. Obviously, I mean, you guys know about it, right? There are tools that people have come up with, the companies have come up with to help people view the blockchain. Yeah, I mean, I, as, a, as, a, as a data scientist myself, well, partially, um, it's I, I, when I think about blockchains and what they offer, especially the the earlier Earlier, earlier versions that we that we know right now, the open, trustless blockchains, they are the perfect data structures for data analytics. It, it's mm -hmm. it's it's guaranteed to be true, and it's one hundred percent public. If you understand the connection between an entity and the address on the blockchain, you know everything about that entity. Especially if you have a a rich history of attachments of other entities and their addresses, and there's and like you said, there's been plenty of um, pro products that have been created specifically for scraping the web, attaching real-world identities to people on the blockchain, and then building um, kind of entities of real-world people attached to blockchain people, and then the associated connections between who sends money to who. So, like, if you give me an address, I can say who that address belongs to, if they have anything identifiable on the web, and who they've done business with. And it's all on the blockchain, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And it, in some in some circumstances, if people are naive enough, it's enough to make a criminal case out of. In other circumstances, yeah. it's one of those situations where, you're like, well, we know what happened, kind of, but we can't do anything about it. I feel like that's that's the case. Uh, can you can you speak to kind of where that goes in terms of like? Is, it, is yeah. that a new concept for you or is that something that's like is it, is it like yes that's something i've always wanted or is it like oh shit we're 
screwed in the in the future because they're <laughs> going to get better at this. Yeah, no, I think I think um, th- there's an evolution that's happening right now. I, I I think so. The first step is I think the first thing is oh wow this this is going to help an investigation because it's going to in a quicker span time if you have that those data points like you mentioned you're going to be able to draw so much more information. You know, if you're some investigator, police, or whatever, you're going to be able to 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 collect more information that'll tell you about this. Um, this person's activity, their transactions, right? And, you're, and, and, and uh, as you piece the, together the, the pieces or the puzzle pieces, if you, if you didn't have that, if you were just dealing with the fiat world, uh, first of all, if it was cash, like, you know, good luck, right? There's nothing you're going to be able to do to really trace cash. But most, you know, even big money laundering, sanctions evasion operations, they're going to, they're, they have to eventually use banks or, or some sort of business. And that's network. That's footwork. That's subpoenas. That's doing all this stuff. Now it is, it's public. Um, so that's the first thing. I think the investigator first gets the edge. Um, then, uh, but then as you get into it, you realize, well, it's not just that easy because there are a lot of ways to anonymous. I mean, first of all, it's pseudonymous. Um, you, you, you see that there are a lot of tricks and things that people can do to obfuscate what they're doing, um, make it much trickier. And, and then I think what we're seeing now is even though Bitcoin is what, where most people are transacting and trading, you know, has most volume, most volume. Obviously, now there are other ways. Privacy is more of a concern. And there's, there's two sides to this, right? There's the fact that, I mean, you know, people can make a very solid case why it's actually very bad for privacy to, to have a Bitcoin blockchain that where, where everything is, is open and public. And so what's the reaction? More anonymous coins, Monero, Zcash, and others. Um, uh, and I think you know, that poses new different risks that actually does make it more difficult. A lot of the blockchain analysis tools that are out there are really focused on Bitcoin and then maybe, you know, Ethereum, Um, you know, yeah, I I don't want to get off on a tangent, right. But there's, there are other blockchains now that like we're really interested in because, you know, if you go down the the Venezuela route, that's, they're using a token on the NEM blockchain. Um, So I think there, I think it's going to be a, still a cat and mouse game. You know, you get tools to, to, to try to find people doing bad things and then, you know, the criminals get better and then you have more tools and then they figure that stuff out. Um, So I think it's just going to be a process of, 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 of learning. The only thing, well, you know, do we have enough, do, do, do authorities, quote unquote, do you know, law enforcement and other authorities, do they have the tools? I would say that one issue is um, there's a generation gap. I mean, the folks who are really understanding this technology, they're not in positions. They're not the law enforcement people, the regulators and the, the people in, you know, leading, leading these organizations. Um, they're in freshman semester of college and in high school, like the people who are going to grow up with crypto and understand it. So I think there is going to be a lag um, and that, you know, yeah. Sorry to go to what you're saying though. There's there's always a lag. I mean, criminals have to be smarter than the cops. That's the world that they live in. Like Mm -hmm. you've got to be five feet ahead. And that's just, the way it is like if you're doing dirt you got to be really really good at it to survive right so you always got to be fit five to 15 steps ahead and there's always going to be that lag but like you said i mean eventually you get caught like that's just the way it works so 
Yeah, they're the I first want, adopters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do want to talk about the Venezuela thing because you wrote you wrote an article about it, and there's people that don't understand what's going on. We got Trump doing what Trump does. And he's like, don't give money to Venezuela. It's not going to happen. I said it because it's not like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Help people yeah. wrap their minds on what Venezuela is doing, and and hmm. you know, how does that I guess hmm. reflect on? blockchain the blockchain industry yeah it, it poses a, a lot of quest new questions so venezuela is pretty much a test case for how this new technology could possibly be used to to undermine sanctions the whole idea of sanctions and i can go into that um like what what are sanctions are and how they work i mean so the the article you mentioned so i co-authored the article i, I got to give a shout out to michaela fry michaela uh, works at um at our organization and she is really she is the venezuelan venezuelan expert from like the political political side and what's going on with the regime so we we teamed up to 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 write this piece basically the piece was why crypto investors should should stay away from the from the petro um, from the from the standpoint like why do I say it's a test case because um, so Venezuela is under U.S. sanctions the leader the government is is under I mean you know the past couple of years um, they had a you know strong crackdown a lot of human rights abuses when there were uh, there was sort of civil civil unrest. Um, a lot of corruption, throwing people in jail, you know, murderous stuff. I mean, just a lot of stuff that that basically the U.S. acted by saying, okay, um, we don't like what's happening in Venezuela, this sort of turmoil, this you know, corruption. The regime, uh, the Maduro regime, the, the head of it is, is Nicolas Maduro, um, is going to be sanctioned, which means the U.S. will not allow U.S. citizens or U.S. persons, companies to provide funding to make, basically it's illegal to provide funding to the Venezuelan government. Um, maybe there's some exceptions here and there for certain things, oil or whatever, but generally speaking, uh, it's, it, the government is under sanctions. And that's, that's a form of political financial pressure, right? Basically, when you look at the issue of the realm of national security, you have a lot of tools. You have the tools of, of warheads and you have the, you know soldiers and armies. You have economic tools. Um, the U.S. has so much power in the financial system and the banking system. Putting sanctions has, has for a long time been a way of leveraging that power. Like, okay, you don't want to go to war with this person, but you don't like what this government is doing. Sanction that 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 corrupt official so they if they try to move money, you know, and they're using the the, the banking system, their money is going to get you know blocked or whatever. So it's 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 a tool. So now crypto brings brings a, another way of maybe dealing with finances. So Venezuela basically because it's heavily sanctioned, um, the economy is in ruins and the 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 economy is not ruined, in my estimation, by um, it's not because of sanctions. Um, the economy has been struggling and, and, and this you know, mismanagement, corruption, all that stuff. Uh, and so so Venezuela basically came up with a plan, uh, the regime to say, hey, um, we're going to create a token and we're going to use this token to raise funds. And they said, we're doing this because the U.S. has sanctioned us. Uh, make, they're making it difficult for us to, 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 to get money into our government. Um, so look, let's do this token. This will be the people's token. This will be a way that we can sort of thumb our nose. <laughs> I mean, basically that's the message, right? Thumb our nose at, at the American, at the, at the Americans, um, and do what we want to do. And so I think we wrote the article because, I mean, I know Michaela, 
Venezuela from the perspective of someone who watches Venezuela, who watches what the regime has done and, you know, the corruption and all, all of these practices, um, you know, not wanting people to, basically wanting people to understand what's at stake. And that, yeah, basically this is just another tool. Um, we, you know, we came at it from the perspective of, first of all, this new petrol that they're creating, you know, the first national cryptocurrency, but really what sort of value would it have? It's not likely that it would have much value. Um, but folks should understand the implications of, first of all, if, in, if you're in the U.S. And you, and you try to buy the token, yeah, Treasury came out, you know, the president, you know, Trump came out, and it's illegal to, for, for U.S. persons to, to sort of do that because basically you're giving money to the Venezuelan government, which is sanctioned. So this raises, it really is raising, not, it's raising a new, um, I don't want to say battlefield, but a new front in sort of geopolitical uh, engagement uh, and and how we deal with with sanctions because you know uh, uh, you know a government that is sanctioned is going to try to find a way to get money to its to its government you know just like name your name your country right if you're under North Korea if you're under sanctions you try to think of new ways to get money and this is what Venezuela is doing. Uh, Don't you, you, you mentioned, Cello. Sorry. You mentioned earlier um sorry to backpedal a little bit. I haven't talked in like 25 mm-hmm. minutes. So I'm a backpedal. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned earlier about the uh the crypto terrorist fund case not raising much money and yeah. when I wanted to learn more about you, I googled you and saw your initial thoughts on the WannaCry hack in North Korea. If you're listening to this episode and you're unfamiliar, uh last year there was a ransomware attack that targeted computers and I dug deep into it and learned that it was one of the biggest cyber hacks in history, but they barely profited on it as well. Are attacks like these unusual, or are they the norm? Because I always thought that most malicious motives were for profit. Yeah, I think that North Korea is a, a, a different... Well, North Korea is a little different in that there's there's definitely a profit motive because North Korea is, you know, is hard up for cash because of sanctions, right? They, you know, it's, it's pretty ele- elementary, right? They want a nuclear program and, you know, the UN, the rest of the world say, no, 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 no nuclear program. Yes, we want a nuclear program. Okay, you're going to be under sanctions. You're, you know, we're not going to give you money for your nuclear program. So what do they do? They do a lot of stuff. You know, they do money laundering front companies um, and they do hacks. They do hacks to to try to gain Bitcoin and, and, and gain some capital. But the other thing about North Korea, which you're getting to is... North Korea also is, a lot of this is a show of, of power, right? You want to be able to destabilize or show what you can do. Um, the thing, if you guys remember the Sony hack from a couple of years back with the, the, the interview movie, a lot of what, you know, you know, most estimates say that that was, you know, North Korea. Um, and that hack was not... Um, just to, to, I mean, there was a political motive there. There was, you know, you, um, North Korea often tries to show that it could embarrass others. You know, they're, they're trying to sort of, you know, rub your, rub your nose in it. So I think um, some of this, some of their hacks have been to, to show what they could do. Like, okay, don't mess with us. We can, you know, we have the power to sort of, we have a lot of access that we could do more damage. So, so there's some of that when you, when you come now, Regular cyber criminals who just want money, that's not what they're interested in. But state actors, um, you've got a lot more of that political intrigue and show of power that um, is connected to what they hack and what they, what they, you know, and what they do with the stuff that they, uh, that they collect in some of the hacks. So they're not always after money. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that, no, not, not always. They yeah, they they want to show what they can do. Well, it's just weird. Or they want to, or, or they want to re, re, they want to cause sort of turmoil. So it might not be financial, but you want your um, like the, the wanna cry. Um, just the it was so disruptive, you, you know. Just just the locking up someone's computer um, uh, that. The, especially in the health sector, the hospital, you know, the, the medical sector, very disruptive. Um, that actually could be, if you think about it, right, that could be a, a war move. That could be, a, a, you know, a, a lot of these rogue actors are trying to find that they can, you know, that they can, they can, mm-hmm. they can lever, lever, levy power moves. That's this weird That's double-edged sword. This weird double-edged sword we've created. It's, it's this, like, so on, on one hand, um, we have, emboldened the ability of malicious uh, malicious actors to do what they did better because we've incorporated money in a cyber and digital way so in terms of like ransomware as an example people can really do a good job of like previously ransomware was always difficult because the drop of the money was always a hard problem getting the money to the person who was holding whatever ransom was difficult now sending bitcoin to some address makes it a lot easier to get away with whatever you're trying to ransom, especially if what you're ransoming is a digital good. Now, that makes what those types of nefarious actors, what they do better. But on the flip side, it's also leaving a much larger footprint of what they're doing to allow forensic investigators to find out who did it, how they did it, who they talked to. So it's this, I'm I'm always wondering about as this space progresses and gets better and better and better, Who's going to end up winning on both sides of those coins? Is it going to stay relatively balanced? Or is there in, at one point going to be somebody that ultimately wins? Because if we think about the progression of something like f- distributed file storage and how it got better and better and better at doing what it did just every time it got shut down, we're going to see a very similar story play out. Like Napster was shut down because it was a centralized service. So it got better and more decentralized. And now torrenting is basically impossible to shut down as a whole. And we're going to see decentralized money do something very similar. And privacy is going to get much better at it. And I have a feeling like we're going to only embolden the people who want to do things very, you know, that don't want other people to know what they're doing while losing a lot of the, ability to track what's going on so we can protect the people we'd like to protect by by becoming more private you, you yes. mean by like having more protection well, there's nobody to go after to shut down the underlying infrastructure because it's completely decentralized much like distributed file storage and the privacy aspect along to it means that we don't know who did what and when they did it mm-hmm. do you think that uh, do you think that the use that's going to influence adoption though. I mean, if, if it's almost like you're in the, like, there's going to be more of an underground, um, the underground market is going to be how people operate, but if it's underground, you know, doesn't that limit the, the use case? I don't know. It's, it's, it's something I think about. It's, it's one of those, like, it's, I feel like the tool that we're now so happy about because we can literally track the movement of money digitally may go away completely in that we won't be able to see any of it. It'll be completely dark. And so we'll have to find other means of doing that same type of investigation. Mm. Mm. And so I wonder, you know, one thing that I think about, because I, I, this is this type of question, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot, which is, okay, so where does the, where does the community come in 
to to solve this problem because you know I, I like to think about the cyber like cyber white hacks and white hack white hat hackers right you have this way you have this system already set up where you've got cyber folks who they use their skills to try to find the ransomware folks and and and, and find vulnerabilities so I've been thinking actually since that 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 first terrorist funding case I've been wondering so where where are the crypto either the developers or you know the folks i mean if it seems like if if this space is something that people really care about shouldn't there be folks who are working on the other side trying to make sure that it's you know i don't want to use the word clean but try to either find the bad actors or make make illicit activity um less desirable like or 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 incentivize good activity and i know that's sort of a you know like we're talking about technology we usually don't say you know good or bad but i mean at the end of the day if that's going to be a problem it's as long if it's all going to go dark it seems like that's not going to help the space well that's the thing is that they're used that they there's a there's a very large portion of people especially the ones that initially started this movement that want things that go completely dark but in the name of something that's not bad yeah. And so it's, it's they're creating a tool because they're trying to figure out if they can. And when they figure out if they can, they're doing it in the name of like liberty, personal freedom of financial, uh, personal financial freedom, separation of money and state. They do things and in, in, in with with the guise or the motivation of of good or what they think is good, but that doesn't mean it doesn't drastically embolden very very bad actors. We may have prevented nuclear. Or, Say we discovered nuclear power so that we can, you know, power the world on a on a more efficient scale. That doesn't mean we're not going to use nuclear power to blow each other up because it's now available. And it's that same type of scenario, regardless of whatever it's made for, it can be used for something that's much, much, much worse. And because of that, we should start to ask, what are the consequences of making it? Do you think that... No, I was going to ask actually for all of it. I mean, because I've I have been in the space so long, right? Uh, I have the sense that the, that people are m- maturing. Because I even heard, I remember even like what last summer reading Vitalik saying, you know, when he first got into the space, it was like, you know, the the you know the evil bankers controlled you know controlled the world, and they had horns and stuff. And then you know you sort of you know you 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 mature and you see that the world is 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 not just that. Um, uh, is is the crypto community is the crypto space maturing compared to those earlier days and, and other people coming into it who, who who are thinking differently? I would say yes, but I would say that that maturation process is is um is exacerbated by some of the most basic uh, cardinal things of humanity. Like like one, it's a it's a money network. I mean that's what we're building. And great and very, very great and very not great things come from money, right? So you're going to get, you're going to get some extreme behavior. And plus, given the nature of how the uh, economics, shout out to you, Cello. I said that right, right? (laughs) The economics mean that we're going to have these vicious price swings. So these vicious swings in sentiment. In emotion as this thing grows um 
I would say that maturity, just like with all things, has just been you learn the lessons. You learn the lessons as they come. Like with the next hype cycle, hopefully Daikos that will have taken hold, uh, which is you've got to actually have done something on your roadmap to tell, to release the funds that have been given to you. Like maybe that's that's a step step in the maturity, right? You can't just walk into an office with 15 PowerPoint slides and walk out with $5 million. You've got to say, okay, here's my idea. At this point in time, when I do this milestone, I'm going to get this much, this much funding. When I do this next milestone, I'm going to get this much funding. And it's it's automated through a smart contract. Like that's how the maturation kind of takes place in this industry. Um, I think when if it comes to a tool that's going to be used uh, at scale, talking about humans using blockchains every day, that kind of stuff is is going to be up to social mores and you know, like just the, the natural evolution of how we communicate and utilize these tools. Like, for instance, if somebody you worked with wrote an email and that email sounded like it was like, you know, what are you trying to scam people? Did you, is this like, why are you sounding like a Nigerian prince in this email? If you're trying to, what kind of funnel are you building with this? Email? Are you trying to communicate something? Or are you trying to get somebody, is this clickbait? Like all these, these language and these things that we've built up is because we're using this tool every day, email, internet. I think with blockchain, it's going to be the same thing, right? Is we're going to build these social mores and we're going to build up these rules to, to kind of identify the bad actors as we figure these things out. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just the way I see it. There's no, there's no way yeah. to, the maturation yeah, I mean, is going to be a lot slower than we want it to be. Well, that's what, I, and, and, and so what I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking that the blockchain that we, you know, the, the system of blockchains or whatever that, that, that we see in the future, it's, it's going to look very different. I think the, the, the libertarian, you know, cypherpunk dream of how it would look like is, is not necessarily going to, you know, it's, it's, it's not how the world's going to work. So, um, you know, yeah, I think what it, it may be very, very, very different. So, I, and I think the the worlds may come together, right? The fiat world and the and the crypto world um, may come together. It, it it might be not what we thought it was going to be, or not what the original people thought it was going to be. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's that's just that. not important. Well, who knows? <laughs> and a, an you important know, aspect like of this 40. is that is that is. We've created a, f- a foundational layer that gives you options. You have the choice. And just like you've said recently, like Venezuela created a token and they have the ability to do so. And Americans actually have the ability to buy that thing. Well, guess what? If the things that are built on top, these sanctions that govern America say that you can't do that, but that doesn't mean that the like existence of the token can't be made. So, the foundational layer allows you to do whatever you want. You have options, and I think that's incredibly important. But because you have those options, you can build whatever you want on top of it to deal with the human communications that have certain rules. You're not relegated to the technology anymore. You can do whatever you want, and so that allows you to build whatever you want on top of it. Like it, You can't build a decentralized system on top of a centralized system. But you can do the opposite. You can build a centralized system on top of a decentralized system. 
Oh, hit him with it. And so because of that, we're going to be able to build more efficient things on top of this system because it's just more generalized. And so people like Venezuela can make tokens. Other people can make tokens. And then we have systems of organization on top of the base layer that tell what types of people are available or are, are able to interact with that thing. And then there's consequences and repercussions if you do so. I think that's the important part of what we're doing and why we're doing it is that we're giving people options to build things in a better way. Now, how we then interact with those things or how they're built is a whole other story, but at least we have the option now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I had a Southern church moment right there, Corey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let let the church say amen. Square. (laughs) A square can be a rectangle, but a rectangle can't be a square. Oh, preach that shit. No. uh, A rectangle um, can be a square. What are you saying? No, it can't. Oh no! But, yeah, it can't. Um, oh, okay. It's a bit. It's <laughs> careful now. <laughs> don't, don't, don't have me one second guessing. Um, but let's. So let's talk about. There's some interesting stuff. Um, we talked about a little bit earlier. We didn't talk about it. We talked about what did we. What did we want to talk about? Hmm. And um, there's this blacklist. And then you asked us. Uh, you know what could happen if someone sent a bunch of money to somebody's address and in, in order and trying to implicate them in some nefarious shit yeah. and uh i was like i don't know that'd be a tough conundrum to be in and then you also asked me about the blacklisting so one of the reasons i think blacklisting blacklisting is kind of dumb is because you can blacklist these public addresses but then someone's just going to make a new address Right, they're just gonna say like, "Oh, cool! Don't send money to that one. I'll just make a new one and send money to that." So I think it's it's, it's a waste of time for uh, law enforcement to go that route. Um, but w- what do you guys think? And this is for all at the table. What would be the implications though if the if the government was just like these public addresses are blacklisted and no money can be sent to them? Or no money can be received by them. Would there be like network effects of that, or would people just kind of ignore it? I'd like to hear what you guys think first. I, don't, I just know my, my reaction, I mean, right? Or do, I, or do you want me to? Do you want me to explain the background in terms of what how this came up? Yeah, that would probably so, that would so, probably help. Okay, so. So yeah, this is something that happened very quietly a week or week or so ago. Um, tr- you know, I won't get into all the like bureaucratic details. Basically, Treasury, U.S. Treasury, uh, apartment which does the sanctioning and has a list, the list of all the people or companies or organizations that are sanctioned. So you, I mean, you could call it the blacklist. It's called the the SDN list. Um, but anyway. Um, but Treasury put out this uh, FAQs, which said that basically indicated that they may be adding some um, cryptocurrency addresses to that list, just like it has lists of Dictator X and, you know, you know, Osama Bin Laden's son, blah, 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 right? Adding 
a, a, a cryptocurrency address. And it's just like very, and it says like, it could be BTC, you know, it could be, you know, Ether, Monero, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this is kind of like on the, on the record now, we don't know what this means in terms of, oh, is, is next week trading? Are you going to put a whole bunch of addresses or is this maybe a reaction to Venezuela where maybe it's going to, because Venezuela is doing this, if they're going to try to put the Venezuelan wallet on this list. Um, I don't know. You know, we, we don't know, but it really raises a question because this would be very new. This would be something that we've never seen before in the sanctions world for, for a, a cryptocurrency address to be at that level where it is blocked by treasury. Um, mm-hmm that's that's i mean so there have been some people who have written about this i mean i saw one article and like they were going through the doomsday scenarios which is like you know this could mean that now anyone that's involved in an exchange anyone that runs an exchange would not only have to look out for those addresses which is normal i mean when you're in banking and finance or if you run a cryptocurrency exchange you actually have to check this sdn list the specially designated national list as part of your business because you have to make sure if, you know, Hamza bin Laden, Osama bin Laden's son, comes up and tries to get your account at, uh, you know, wherever, I don't want to name an exchange because people think I'm insinuating something, but, you know, you have to check to make sure that that customer is not on the blocked list from Treasury. Mm-hmm. So now this is saying, this could be saying that that now you will have to identify ad, you know, the crypto addresses and make sure that there's no transactions coming from them. But if you sort of take that to the next conclusion, you think, cause like you said, right, well, someone could just create a bunch of addresses or they could send all their money from that wallet to another wallet. I mean, if you're, if this is going to happen, does it mean that then they're also going to have to check the, how close they're going to have to check the background of the transactions and see, you know, did it maybe come from that address, you know, maybe three, four degrees removed. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it just poses these questions. Um, And some people are saying that, Oh, well this might create bad coins and good coins. Yeah. That is a, that is a rather old conversation. Can we, can we call whatever that becomes the blocked chain? (laughs) I see what you I see what you did there, Corey, and I respect it. <laughs> well played, my friend. Sorry, it was, well it was obvious. Well, let, let's wrap it up. Um, On that I note, I know, I know there's some yeah. initiatives that you kind of wanted to get out in the ether that uh, oh. you're working on, that we're working on, and yeah. then also um, yeah. we're gonna hit you with our trademark question. So I'll be ready for that. Ooh, man, I should have. Oh, right. Nobody okay. ever thinks about it ahead of time. We will count it. We will count it. But let's oh, talk and then we'll, we'll ask you the, the, the question. Um, yeah, sure. Just just, just real quick. I mean, I'll, men- I'll, I'll mention one thing that I'm concerned about and sort of uh, have a lot of attention. And, and you and I, you know, Demetri, we've been talking about this, which is how to make sure that there's more um, – the more communities are involved in this this space, this innovation space, um, and so one of the things. Uh, so I'm I'm here in the DC area. I live in between, um, not far from Corey. Yep, yep. <laughs> in between DC and <laughs> Hoco, Howard County. Um, uh, but um, so I, I actually last last summer I was really thinking about how when I was when I was in college. 
Um, I, you know, I went to college in the nineties. I'm, I'm older than, than a lot of people think. And I'm from California and I was in the Bay area when this first wave of the internet happened and I was an econ major. And now that I look back, I realized that wave happened and I had no idea. I mean, I literally remember being a freshman in college, my roommate being on his computer and he was like typing on something. He was typing on his computer and I'm like, hey, go to sleep. Why are you up so late? What are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm on this thing. It's called email. I'm sending a message to my friends. And I was like, e what? Go to sleep. Um, that was, <laughs> seriously, that was freshman yeah. year, 1992. That was, that was, and I had no idea, like, why would you be on your computer? Like, what? Well, like, what is that? Now, of course, a few years later, like, then everyone at school started to get an email, and I was emailing, and then I graduate, and I didn't realize I was in the, like, this whole tech revolution had happened, and I was unaware of it. And I feel that as someone who went to school, you know, I didn't go to an HBCU, but I was very um, concerned about community development. I was concerned about, you know, the African-American community and, and, um, and I was concerned about those things, right? Empowerment, economic empowerment, but I totally missed the internet revolution. And so I started to think last year about um, how other, how that may happen right now. Um, there's so much happening in the crypto space where you've got a small select group of folks and they're creating solutions. There's so much happening, but I think a lot of folks don't even know that this that this trend is going on. So I reached out to a friend of mine who is at um, who's an administrator at Morgan State University, which is a historically black college here in in Baltimore. And I said, "Hmm, do you think Morgan would be interested? Like, I'm really into this crypto and blockchain stuff. I've been learning a little bit more about it with my work. Do you think Morgan would want to like raise awareness of this technology on the campus?" And she said, "What is crypto and what is blockchain?" Um, so that sort of started this process of basically trying to talk to an HBCU, talk to Morgan specifically about creating something, creating a, 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 a um, an awareness on campus, like creating some sort of lab and workshop, partnering with, with industry folks. So I, so I'm working in, in, you know, Demetri, we've been talking about this, how to make this happen, um, not just at Morgan, but maybe at, at other places so that other, you know, so that there's just more representation and more involvement in this space on the HBCU campuses. Um, so that's just one thing that sort of, you know, uh, in my spare time, I'm, I'm, I'm working on. So, you know, um, I'm, and I'm hoping that I'm actually hoping that folks in the industry will become, you know, will support, will help folks on campus, will help, um, you know, partner with, with schools like Morgan. Um, that's mm-hmm. something that's sort of near and dear. So it's, it's, um, it's one of the things I'm, 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 I'm involved with. So Audience members, if you heard all that and you want to contact Yaya and help out with this initiative, Yaya, how do they find you? Is there an email address you're comfortable putting out of there? Out there? Um, uh, probably Twitter would probably be best. Um, I have a weird Twitter. It's at sign curve and it's sign S I G N curve. Um, so that's my that's my Twitter handle. They could they could reach out to me that way um, if anything I said sounds interesting to them. Good deal. Yeah. Uh, in 10 words or less, he described blockchain. No. Yeah. <laughs> so much confidence. Like, nope, not, no. Do you want me to describe Bitcoin? All right. In 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Okay. I'm going to do it in the, the, the non-textbook 
uh, in a non-textbook definition. And I know you guys are going to be like, no, that doesn't work. But but this is this is what I would call it: the world's most trustworthy digital asset. What's wrong with that? Yeah, what is wrong with that? Like, I I I I, I feel like, like it's not textbook. I feel like it's not. Textbook we don't ask the question for textbook. We ask the question for yeah. the whole the whole point. Words or less. That's, the whole point of the saying. question is to make is is to understand the the base layer motivation for why people how people view the space, right? When you have to try and abstract all the way down to ten words or less, you get yeah. the reason why people look at the space, mm-hmm. and that's you, you know what I mean. Like you you try to distill it until it can't be distilled anymore, and if people actually succeed or they come up with something that makes sense, you usually get an idea of what like what they think about the entire space. That's the Actually, reason for the question. Answer. Yeah. So good yeah, that's answer. What I would say. Yeah. That's what I would it's say. It's really trustworthy. Um, yeah. It should and be it's the, most, the oldest, right? Yeah. It's the oldest. It's got the, mo- it's got the most longevity and it's got the most value right now. Um, you know, for digital scarcity, it is like the, yeah, it's the most trustworthy. I like it. Well, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Thank you very much for you guys listening. Please reach out at Sign Curve. Um, trying to see what we can do about getting some dedicated and focused uh, crypto learning labs on HBCUs. So help us out. Um, that's you. it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Great, great show. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, we're back. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Yaya. Um, he has his own podcast as well. So um, do the searches and do the Google searches and and, and um, go peek into what Yaya is up to all the time. I myself, I hate saying that. I'm so happy. Dang it. I hate when people say I myself. It's so redundant. And it's becoming like collo- colloquial. It's getting on my nerves. I am currently working on a project with Yaya, and you heard about it in the interview, so it was just the best. It's developed kind of well. It's going slow, but we knew it would go slow, so. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's quite, um, speaks up in the Slack. He's been a contributor in our, in our community for quite a while. If you don't mm-hmm. know, y'all should join our Slack. We have one. If you don't know how to get to it, go to thebitcoinpodcast.com, and there's a Slack button. In the nav navigation bar, click on it, get a sign up link, join the conversation. Yep. So That's all I got. I want to talk about something, guys. Maybe I'm a conspir maybe I'm conspiratorial, but I don't think that I am. I think I like to think I'm fairly rational with a hint of more like optimism than hyper rational people. So I get on the old Reddits and I see this picture and it's a picture of CNBC and the headline says up there, uh, how Bitcoin is fueling America's opioid crisis. Sis, sis, sis. And so you have to start thinking this has been going on for a decade now. Um, and this is going to get conspiratorial, but do you think that mass media slowly perpetuates this brand that Bitcoin is salty, Bitcoin isn't something that you should use, give them enough time 
to pre-mine the shit out of their tokens so they can become secure by the time that they release them as a service. What does it mean to become secure? Well, so this is this is going to show probably my holes in the understanding of blockchain, but I thought the longer the chain, the more secure it is. That because depends. it takes... How is, that, how is that chain created? If a chain is created by one person, it doesn't matter how long it is. Like, consensus... Yeah, but if you've got... If you have the money to have cloud a network of computers that can mine a chain, right? So then you've got all these computers pre-mining a chain, and then you just give it public access. And you're like, okay, guys, we oh. made the whatever coin. Now you the guys... The only reason playing. that proof of work is secure and that we have these um, trust assumptions that if you want to redo the work, you need to, if you want to redo the chain, you have to redo all the work that created the chain. And so the further you go back, the more work that is, Mm -hmm. that's always kind of going to be true. But because we don't know who actually gets elected to create the next block, and, but we do know how much work they put into doing it. We can always be a, we can always be sure that it was created fairly. And when you have a private set of people doing arbitrary work to gain elections on creating blocks, then you don't have that same assumption. So they can just fool you as much as they can, as much as they want. They can say that. They, they did a certain thing because no one's really checking to make sure they did the work properly. It's not a real amount of work. Mm-hmm. Someone can fake that information as much as they want because they control the creation of the chain. Now, mm-hmm. Bitcoin mm-hmm. and Ethereum and other open networks like them work because we don't know who's going to create the block. And so if you want to redo it, then you better be sure you follow the rules because that work was real. Because that's the only way blocks are created in that network. Now, it gets easier to control that much energy if the network is small. So if you don't have a lot of a lot of mining power trying to create blocks, then throwing a significant amount of mining power into that network means you have you you secure the majority of the power that creates blocks. So that's how you control networks, smaller networks that it's monetarily feasible to have enough mining power to control the whole network. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin and Ethereum are big enough now that that's not, that's not the case. You can have influencers for sure, but one person isn't going to buy enough, you know, ASICs and take over the network these days. So, like, so it's, that it's, conspiracy it's, is yeah, that's what you said isn't, isn't going to work. It, and and any, anybody that does enterprise um, semi-private or like public but permissioned blockchains should never use proof of work. It's it's a waste. Proof of work works in a scenario where you cannot trust anybody and that's where it shines. Other consensus mechanisms work better when you are promoting people to become authenticators and then validating whether or not like how people get in that pool of validators. It's a very different mm-hmm. way of minting or sealing new blocks into a blockchain that works better in a scenario where you have some level of trust in who you're working with. But open networks, that cannot exist. There needs to be a way of doing things where you cannot trust anybody and the block can work just as fine. 
So mm-hmm. like there was a tweet that I saw, I think it was from Nick Zabo or someone the other day. I want to say it was Nick Zabo, but it was basically like any real open blockchain will function perfectly when everyone hates each other. That's the whole key I saw that here. too. Yeah, that's yeah. the whole key here. It's we've created networks and systems of value exchange that work perfectly when everyone hates each other and doesn't get along. That's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do and why this innovation is even worth a damn. That's one hell of a tweet. That's um, that really helps people understand the power of um, open public blockchains too. Any of that and everyone sense. does hate each other. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. There's few moments when humanity doesn't hate itself. And that's uh, when like people like Michael Jackson make heal the world and stuff like that. Like Justin Timberlake and the the uh, Black Eyed Peas had that one song like eight years ago. But that's another moment. I don't even know what and, song like, you're talking about. Huh? I don't even know what song you're talking about. Justin Timberlake and Black Eyed Peas made a song. Yeah, I'm googling. Yeah, I'm trying to think terrible. of the chorus. People practice what they preach, and they turn. What's these going on? Cheek. Where's the love? Yeah, what's? Where's the love? Where's the love? There we go. See, you got where's the love? You got heal the world. I think there's another one from the '80s that had like Bono in it. It was a Christmas song. Like, yeah, those that are the moments. Fifteen years old. Those are the bonus. Where's the loves? 15 years old? 2009. Yeah. Jeez. 2003. That's not oh, 15 years old. Oh, is it? No, this, oh, this video was uploaded in 2009. Oh, wow. Old as fuck, man. We are getting there. I need more gray hair. I think I'm a self-dye. Get some gray hairs going on. Did you just I'm say already you're going to dye your hair gray? People do that all the time, Corey. It's for branding purposes. That's That's absurd. Mr. Fantastic dyed his hair. That shit ain't perfectly Cisco gray dyes on both sides. I'm talking about like artificially putting in gray hair People to do look peppered so that you look more sophisticated is absurd. I don't want to look more sophisticated. I just want to feel the way I feel and look the way I feel when I'm not getting carded anymore when I buy alcohol. It's like, oh, damn, I officially look old in the face. Might as well look old in the hair, too. Hey. Come over and babysit my kids a couple weeks and <laughs> save some money. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting grayed out. I'm getting some pepper. Or, no, I'm, there, getting some, I'm getting some. I got salt and cayenne. I'm first, I'm first going to dye my hair gray that I'm going to get cologne that smells like Cuban cigars. Like, Musk. just like go, Cuban Just go wear some, like, old Dracar Noir or Musk or, like, what was the stuff your dad wore? I wore it. I actually uh, wore it. Brute. Brute. Yeah, that was the one. They'd <laughs> <laughs> carry a briefcase. I feel like that makes you sophisticated. So, <laughs> okay. Anyways, one last thing. I'm going to talk about this until I'm blue in the face, which can't happen because I'm black. But the Lightning Network is taking off, man. It's crazy. We need to get some. Yesterday, I watched the capacity grow $30,000 in 24 hours. Yeah, we're going to be setting up a, a wallet on our website. We're going to get, try and get this thing going because you, technology doesn't gain adoption by people not using it. 
So all you people that have had Bitcoin for eons that we know, like, start experimenting, man. Let's launch a Lightning Network. Let's get this shit happening. We're going to try and make it so that you guys can buy some of our content for, like, 50 cents. We'll just, just test this thing and see if it works. If we lose money and lose money. I know you guys see that, Corey. You see that in the corner over there? That's a computer. That's a server. That's built like a computer because I don't understand. <laughs> but that's a server. Um, I don't know why it's built that way. Um, but, yeah, we got access to servers. And we're going to see if we can do this damn thing. Get the sliding network popping off. And then that's exciting because then I'm pretty sure Layer 2 Ether is going to be happening sometime within the next, I don't know, three years, since I talked about Lightning Network for three years. <laughs> so Layer 2 Ether um, could be exciting as well. I'm so. excited to see, as as the, the base Layer Networks start building on top of them, you get these Layer 2s across the board. Like the, I think a key functionality of most of these Layer 2 networks will be interconnection. I think there's, I guess there's two ways you can interconnect blockchains. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm talking about like complete interconnection, not the, not in the way that Ethereum is doing interconnection of tokens. Um, but I'm talking about completely separate blockchains. And that is you build a layer underneath them that communicates value or you build mm-hmm. a layer on top of it. And I think the latter, building a layer on top of these networks for communicating between blockchains is probably going to at least be the first thing that happens. And we start seeing value transfer, which we've seen atomic swaps in the Lightning Network between Litecoin and Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. Uh, that We're going to see things like this happen, and we're going to create these bridges between networks, which will, like, I think, massively, massively increase the usability of a lot of these things, where you can store value in one network but use the utility of a different network. That's going to be cool, and it's going to happen in Layer 2, because I don't think it's going to happen in Layer 1. I don't zero. think it can happen in layer one. Unless it goes to proof of stake and we do fancy ass math. It's not proof of but stake isn't gonna do that. That's not that's not how proof of stake works. Well the way that I've bastardized proof of stake in my mind is like virtual proof of work. Yeah. Like it's a good way to look at it, but it's not gonna do interoperability. It just increases scale and reduces waste. And it makes the Intrapid. the thing that you're staking. So like you still stake things for proof of work Mm -hmm. it's just what you're staking is outside of the network it's 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 physical physical power energy that is not directly related to the value of the network it's indirectly related proof of stake takes that thing what you're staking and puts it a part of the network so if you and so that way you can actually do disincentives as well as incentives for the consensus layer so if somebody goes something somebody does something bad, you can't just be sure that, you know, you can't just overly weigh the incentives so that people are not incentivized, that it's not within their benefit to act badly. You can also do disincentives so that if people do act badly, you can penalize them. So if someone mm-hmm. does something bad, you just take their ether away. If somebody does something malicious in a proof of work network where the what you're staking is outside of the network. You can't take their power away within, within, you know, within the rules defined of the blockchain. But mm-hmm. you can take their ether away if ether is what they're staking to become a validator. And so that allows you to open up the rules and 
maybe potentially better align what people do and how they act so that they're more likely to act along the along the rules because if they don't Mm -hmm. i mean vitalik or vlad put it in a certain way we're like if you break a rule we burn your house down it's like that's how heavily disincentivized you are to breaking the rules whereas in bitcoin it's like good luck you break the rules you shouldn't get away with anything because the incentives are so aligned with like it's going to cost you so much money you're better off just playing by the rules what if you were a mogul and you could loop the system so you know exactly the finite number of houses you had in which mm-hmm. you ended up at the end of the game with all the cheddar in one house? Yeah, well, that's, 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 these are the types of games you get to play. At least you'll have more information about it because if someone introduces a bad block in proof of work, it's much harder to figure out who they are and where how much power they have. Like, like We don't have a good metric for power and hashing because the hardware that does the hashing changes so much that we can't really do hard estimations on how much power is actually being used mm-hmm. because like the amount of watts that produce a certain amount of hashes continually changes and so how much contribution they're doing only matters about how many hashes they're contributing to the network not how much power they're producing into the network so if someone gains a particular piece of hardware that's much more efficient, they can have much more sway and not cost as much, which is why people have this race for ASICs and better technology. That is mm-hmm. all eliminated in a, in a proof-of-stake system. You don't have that that race for hardware or, or um, kind of choosing who gets to become the leader based on what access they have to hardware resources or manufacturing. That's all gone. But there are trade-offs in proof-of-stake systems because it's like the rich will become the ones that get to push the chain forward. Granted, they're probably more aligned. They're more incentivized to keep the chain going because what they're staking is directly aligned with uh, the network's health. So if you have that much ether and you throw it away, then you're spending a lot of money to burn some... you're, You're burning a lot of your own money on purpose, which may be an attack factor. I don't know. It's it, There's different types of these things as well. So, Yeah, there's still so much left to figure out. It's crazy um, that we are as far as we're, or we are with this, with this stuff. So it's crazy. I also uh, think it's crazy. What's up, Cello? Uh, go ahead. I read a lot of white papers just the other week when I had some free time and I hate when people are saying like provable, I think they should start qualifying provable with theoretically provable because I, I honestly think that proof of work is the only proven consensus algorithm to date because people are like, it's in the wild. A lot of people are using it. It's battle tested. Like let's say there's pragmatically provable, and theoretically provable, and we need to start discerning between those two because big Bitcoin Cash is like, I mean, yeah, obviously that's pragmatically provable, but there's still no one using it. And then you go to things like um, uh, Cardano, which is it's very formidable tech. Why do you have six white papers? I read three of them, but 
but I don't think anyone's using it. So, um, very theoretically provable, but anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. Let's wrap. Chell, are you going to say something? Yeah, let's wrap. Oh, wrap it up. You need a wrap it up button, like from the Chappelle show, that you can hit, Cello. <laughs> wrap it up. Wrap that shit wrap up. Wrap it up. So, uh, today's show... Unlike last show, it was not brought to you by 90s Greek dance music. I don't know if anyone heard that, but I put it in the show. <laughs> um, uh, what do we do? We have a blog, medium.com slash the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, go to it and read the readings. But lately, it's just going to be me posting the episodes. Um, because why not? Just another avenue for people to listen to us. Um, we're on Spotify. We're on overcast we're all over the place um let's see here if you're a writer and you're interested in contributing to a publication um dm me in our slack join our slack and we'll get to talking and if i feel like you've got what it takes to write then you can contribute um and maybe get paid so is that um listen to me on my other show hashing it out yep it is not on the typical bitcoin podcast feed so if you subscribe to this feed you will not get it you need to look for it it's on spotify get it on other places soon it's on the website the bitcoinpodcast.com it is more technically so, minded focused on diving into problems with all the blockchain stuff and what people are doing to fix it so holla yep a resident blockchain expert Corey. i know you hate when i call you that but sure. i mean whatever I don't care. You say sure, whatever. You're literally a subject matter expert. Like yeah, that's your job I title. Am. It is. <laughs> so why do you hate when people call you a blockchain expert? I don't know. I think it's it's uh I don't know. I, I know so things that I'm willing but I, I know things I know a lot more than other people, but I'm willing to be told I'm wrong if they can prove it. So I, I I'm open to learning as much as I can as fast as possible. It's just I just thought of an Instagram post of you this is gonna be dope. I just thought this in my brain. You showing your tattoo. He's got a tattoo of I know I know nothing on his bicep with like the sun in between your arm and your bicep. And that's that's branding, bro. That's that, that's a free nugget for you. Get yourself an Instagram page. I just gave you a thirst trap photo. For the audience. <laughs> for, for the audience. <laughs> um, what else? I got a is question. Going on? Corey, if, if you were Neo and, and Morpheus said, take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe, or take the red pill and stay in Wonderland, what do you do? Hold on. The blue pill is you leave the Matrix, correct? No, yeah. the red pills you leave the matrix. Oh, blue pill, you the story ends. I don't give a shit. What it what I'll leave the matrix every time. That's what I thought. Interesting. Truth is, All right. is truth is more important than anything else in the world. That's it. Now, everybody, a glimpse into the mind of D. What if there's a red pill after the red pill? Shit. What do you do then? <laughs> well then it's inception. <laughs> then it's inception. If, then you're going down another layer. If you get it on the outside and they're like, yeah. It's crazy, right? This is crazy. This isn't the end either. There's another red pill. Red pill or blue pill. 
Wah. Wah. No. You're just taking ecstasy at that point. The <laughs> dealer's lying to you. <laughs> Anyways, right. um, one last thing. So, um, next Saturday, we will be having a live Q&A session with JJ. So if you've been listening to By or Sell this entire time, um, I hope that you've been listening to the fact that we've been kind of gathering Cardano and gathering salt. And surprise, surprise, last week we had some pretty big wins. Um, that just is what it is. Um, if you're in that live Q&A, you can ask. Basically, it works like this. JJ hops on the horn um, and he trades live. Um, so you get to see some like trading techniques. Um if you don't think that technical analysis works, then that's just you and that camp. If you do think that it works, you should go to Wall Street and see it actually have been working for a century now. So, I mean, it is what it is, believe it or not. So, um, listen to Buy or Sell with the hell and you know exactly what time that's going to happen. And then we're going to post the link in the Price Talk channel in our Slack. You can join into that live Q&A, watch JJ do his thing, and ask him questions. And um, if you like it, you like it. So, there's that. Um, what else did we do? That's enough. That's enough for now. We do so many things. Um, well, play... Oh, shout out to Zoe Saldana and Carrie Hilson. Play the outro.